Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. I want us to first off remember all of those out in West Texas that have gone through such unspeakable tragedy over the last several hours. I know it's on everyone's hearts and minds and people that are viewing online. And we just wanna acknowledge uh, what's happened there and remember to pray for the families, for our first responders, as well as protection over all the people on the East Coast with that hurricane that's out there off of the Atlantic. Uh, There's just a lot of things we need to be praying for, right? The Bible says we pray for one another. So let's do that as we go into the message this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't just love all of us, you love each one of us. And Father, for those people who are hurting in West Texas after that unspeakable tragedy, I pray that you would be the comforter that you said you would be. Bless the pastors and churches that will minister to those families, the first responders. Father, I pray that you would bless them and encourage them, and we're so grateful for them. Protect those on the East Coast as uh, that hurricane is there, and I pray, Father, for your will to be done, for protection. Bless, Lord, this morning as we open our minds and our hearts to receive your word. Make us ever mindful of the um, brevity of life and how fragile life really is. And Lord, we'll give you thanks. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. You know, you don't get past the fifth chapter of Genesis until you see really what is the summary of all civilizations. You could summarize all civilization there in Genesis five this way. They lived and they died. They lived and they died. Every time the Bible speaks of physical life, the shortness of it and the uncertainty of it is always emphasized. When the Bible talks about life, he says it's like a tale that's been told. It's like a story. He said in one verse, it's like a a, a puff of smoke, a vapor. You reach for life and suddenly it's gone. In another place, it said life is like the flowers that bloom in the spring only to fade in the fall. It's life. I don't think there's anyone here this morning who would argue with the fact that life goes by so quickly. Life is full of seasons. Some of you are in a new season of life. And in fact, as we talked about the first weekend out in this series, how that life has purpose. And in God's plan, he has designed us with purpose. And in this idea of purpose, God has connected our time with our purpose here on earth. Ecclesiastes 1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. So as long as you and I have purpose, we'll have time. So you are immortal until God is finished with you. And the moment he's done with you, you'll know it. (laughs) He'll call you home. But until that happens, he has a reason, there's a purpose for you being here. Never underestimate, never minimize the significance of your life. You have influence. The idea of influence is the idea of two small tributaries flowing into a larger one, creating a current. Uh, Inflow, influence, your life has influence. Someone is caught up in the current that is your life. Someone is caught into the current of your life. It may be a child, it may be a friend, a husband, it may be a loved one, it may be a neighbor. Someone is caught up in the current of your life. So God has a purpose for you. Your life may be the only Bible someone ever reads. The only glimpse of Jesus someone ever sees might be that glimpse they see in your life. That's why it's so important that we understand we are the body of Christ. We are to do what he did when he was on the earth. 
And we are here uh, on a mission. <laughs> We're here by a divine design. God just didn't look down out of heaven and spotted you, scratch his head and say, I didn't know I had that one. What am I going to do with that one? Right? You are not an accident. You are an incident. God created you perfectly with a plan in your life. So don't miss his purpose for you. Because in your purpose, you will find your time here on this earth. So we talked about that the first weekend. Last weekend, we took the next step as we're talking about heaven, and we talked about the place, the place called heaven, right? Jesus said, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. Place, topos in the Greek. Uh, we get topography from that word, topos, a place, a definite place. We said heaven is as real as Fort Worth, Texas. We said the people in heaven are more real <laughs> in some ways than the people in Fort Worth, Texas. I mean, it is a real, literal place, this place called heaven. It's not a state of mind. It's not a myth. Stephen Hawkins said it's just a fairy tale. Not on your life. I don't think he thinks that now. <laughs> the point is heaven is a real place. So you have this idea, that was dark, wasn't it? You have this idea that we are here by purpose and we're here going to a place. Well, this weekend, I wanna take the next step in this idea of what heaven is like, how God has a prepared place for a prepared people. And I wanna talk about this morning, the people of heaven. Who are there? What are they doing? I don't know about you, but the more uh, people that I know and love who go into heaven, I'm more curious about that place than ever before. I've got a new interest in it, a new uh, passion for knowing about it uh, after this May than I've ever had before. And so we're going to talk about that. I, I hope I can encourage you with this idea of heaven. Jesus in John 14 said, let not your hearts be troubled. And I expounded on that a little bit last weekend. He didn't say not let your heart grieve. You and I are going to grieve. It's a healthy part of life. It's a natural part of life. God created us with an ability to express emotion. In fact, psychologists will tell you if you don't express emotion, if you repress those emotions, it'll have a very negative effect on your health. Uh, it can have a, a negative effect on your outlook and your level of joy. So it's okay to feel what you're feeling and it's okay not to be okay. Jesus did not say, let not your heart grieve. The qualifier for a Christ follower, Paul said later, we just don't grieve as people without hope. And you have to remind yourself when you're in the despair of grief that there is hope. Even though you sorrow and your heart is broken and your heart is heavy, you have hope. And so that was the qualifier for the Christ follower. So Jesus doesn't say not to grieve. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be troubled, meaning don't let your heart become conflicted or confused. Don't let your heart become compromised. Don't allow your heart uh, to be filled with doubt because out of the heart, the Bible says, are all of the issues of life. So therefore, in another place, it says, guard your heart, guard your heart. How's your heart this morning? Are you guarding your heart? Are you careful that you're not allowing unhealthy emotion to dominate your mind and dominate your heart? Jesus said to the apostles that were about to tip that line and they were about to get into some unhealthy emotion that their heart would become troubled. He says, don't, don't do that. Let not your heart be troubled. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, he gives us the answer. You believe in God. It's in the imperative. Believe in me. He says to them, look, you followed God. Now follow me. You believe in God. Trust me. He cannot lie. He will not lie. God is that friend who will come into your life when every other friend has gone out. He's promised never to leave you, never to forsake you. And so the first thing to do to keep your heart from being troubled is put your trust in him. And then he pivots and says, for in my father's house are many mansions. You know what he does? He says, focus on me and keep your hope in heaven. 
knowing that you're just going through a little time of sorrow down here on this earth. We're just going through a, a little bit of grief down here on this earth. If you're a Christ follower, this is all the hell you're ever going to go through. You're going through it right now. So I'm just suggesting you, this is as bad as it's gonna get for us. We're living through this right now. So Jesus says, don't be overcome by this stuff. In fact, focus on me, for in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwellings. And then I love this line. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. And I told you last weekend basically what he was saying. If there were no heaven, I wouldn't play on your emotion. I wouldn't take advantage of you when you're vulnerable. He said, if there's no heaven, I would tell you that. And then we just adopt the philosophy of the Epicurean and say, hey, let's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die and there ain't nothing after this. But he said, that's not the case. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, topos, a place. And if I go, he said, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What an incredible promise. So I wanna think for just a moment about the people in heaven I wanna think about those that we love who are there now. And the first thing I would have you to think about based on what our Lord just said is the fact that number one, they are received. They're received. He said, I will receive you unto myself that where I am, heaven, there you may be also. So we know where our loved ones are when they leave us. Now, by the way, I don't believe in what is commonly called soul sleep. It is the idea that some have that the soul and body kind of sleeps within the body, and the soul and spirit rather, sleep within the body awaiting the morning of the resurrection. Now let me explain it, and I'll tell you why I don't believe that. Uh, anytime the Bible speaks of death as a sleep, it always refers to the body. The body sleeps. And by the way, that's a beautiful word because anything that's asleep is a subject to be awakened at any moment. So the body is asleep, subject to be awakened at the resurrection, but the spirit and soul are not asleep. They don't stay with the body. Proof text is 2 Corinthians 5. Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now you can't be present, absent, the same body at the same time, so obviously he's not talking about soul sleep. He's saying the minute a person dies, and by the way, death is an interesting word, it's a dark word, it's a distressing word, but it's a very uh, defining word because death literally means separation. Well, separation of what? Well, obviously separation of us from our loved ones, right? It's said that they have died and we know what that means. When you say so-and-so has died, you know now I'm going to be separated from them. And that's a hard separation, that's hard to adjust to. It's hard to adjust to the empty place of the table. And the quietness of a house. So it's separation. But it's more than separation from us and our loved one. It's separation of the spirit and soul from the body. You see, the spirit and soul are the only part of us that is eternal. Our bodies are temporal. <laughs> You're looking at a temporal housing up here. I'm working on it, but it's temporal. I'm trying to downsize this puppy a little bit, but it's, uh, it's temporal. He is a fat boy right now, but he's working on it right now. I'm just telling you that. Uh, so I'm working on this, this body. It's, it's temporary, right? It's just a temporary housing. But the part of me that is eternal, the part of me that will live on, the part of Cindy that's living on is her spirit and soul. Now, when death visits us, there is a separation of spirit and soul. Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. 
Solomon would write in Ecclesiastes 12, he would say, the spirit returns to God who gave it and the body to the earth, ashes to ashes, cremation, dust to dust, right? So he's talking about the natural process that the body goes back, planted back into the earth and the body remains there in whatever form subject to the morning of the resurrection. So we know at death, that person is separated, the spirit and soul of them, that part of them that is life, that part of them that you knew, the part of them that was funny and vivacious and vital and so important, that part of that spirit and soul are no longer in that body. Absent from that body, present with the Lord, and the body is then interred back into the earth. And the spirit goes to God who gave it. So Jesus said, I'm gonna receive them. And he receives people every day. Thousands of people every day he receives into his presence. They step from this temporal into the eternal. Now, one of these days he's promised to return. I believe you and I might live in the day we might be the generation that actually sees the return of our Lord and the rapture of his church. First Thessalonians four, the Lord himself one day will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of God, with, a, uh, with a, uh, the archangel and the voice of God, and the dead in Christ shall be raised first. He's talking about a lot of noise, by the way, a shout and a trumpet. Trumpets are loud. Say, <laughs> so, well, I just like quiet church. I don't like loud church. Well, brace yourself. It's gonna get loud there in the end. <laughs> he just said it's going to be a shout with a trumpet. And those who've died in Christ will then be raised first, and then you and I, which are alive and remain, will be caught up. The idea of rapture is to be caught up. To be caught up together is a beautiful word, together. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then Paul said, comfort one another with these words. That's why the hope of heaven brings me so much comfort. I hope it's comforting you as we study it together. It is this great hope of heaven that one day we are going to be there in this literal place and we are going to be received as our loved ones are received by God. The Bible says, according to Luke 16, that, he, that our loved ones are escorted by the angels into the presence of the Lord. Have you thought of that? Escorted by the angels. We were in that room at Zell Lipsy in the closing moments of Cindy's journey with us. And I didn't see him, I didn't hear him. I've heard stories of people who have, and I, I don't doubt your story, I'm just saying it didn't happen to us. But I know they were there. I know we're there because the Bible says in Luke 16, when that poor man died, he was escorted by the angels into the presence of his Lord. And I believe every time a loved one passes from our presence, I believe the angels of God lift the soul and bear them into the presence of Jesus. Escorted by the angels, received by our Savior. Of course, I've talked about the resurrected body that will happen one day when Jesus returns. Those bodies will be resurrected out of the graves, recreated perfected, made like unto his glorious body. But let me ask you a question that I had to ask myself. What kind of bodies are they in now? If there is a state in which one goes to heaven and the body is interred to the earth, waiting the morning of the resurrection when Jesus will return, what kind of body are they in now? We're kind of between that period of time, right? We inter the body to the earth and what kind of bodies are they housed in now? Well, believe it or not, Christians are divided on this issue. Does that shock you? Christians divided on an issue. Somebody said the last time I saw a lot of Christians in one accord, they were in a Honda going west on a road. That's a bad joke. I know you get three Christians together, you'll have at least five opinions. 
And so there's at least three dominant opinions, and I'll give you mine. <laughs> it's, it's, it's gonna cost you what the rest of it costs you, so nothing, right? There is the idea of disembodied spirits. That when a person leaves this life and they go into the presence of God, they're just a disembodied spirit. You get the idea of a ghost, right? Of a little fat cherub on a, with a harp on a cloud. A disembodied spirit. You see the imagery everywhere. It is the idea that those in heaven are just disembodied spirits without real form, and they're just there. The problem with that is I have trouble squaring that biblically. Luke 16, the rich man, the poor man, one is in hell, one is in heaven. The poor man in heaven sees the rich man. The rich man sees the poor man. They're in a form that's recognizable. They know each other. They converse with one another. They see each other. And this obviously is prior to the resurrection of the dead when God will call everyone back and resurrect and recreate these bodies and glorify them like his. So I don't think the disembodied spirit theory is a good one. And then the second thought is, well, not disembodied spirits, but they receive their glorified body the moment they're resurrected. It's like you jump a period of time, you get the body, time doesn't matter, and so they justify it that way. Well, the problem is that then negates the significance of the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4. The idea, it says, after the rapture, then those who died in Christ will be raised first. And then 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of being after the rapture, we get the glorified body. So that theory doesn't really work for me either. Here's the one I land on, a temporal body, a temporal body. I'm in a temporal body, right? This is not my permanent body. As I said a moment ago, it won't be this fat, it'll be much better looking. This is a temporal body. So it's not hard for me to imagine the people in heaven, if I'm in a temporal body on earth, how hard is it to imagine that the people in heaven likewise are in a temporal body, right? So I think they're in some type of a temporal form that is recognizable and they are awaiting that moment when our Lord will glorify them by resurrecting their old body, glorifying it, make like his new body and we'll be in that body forevermore. So the point I don't want you to miss is the idea that they are received. They're received. And by the way, about that, there's nothing salvific in any of those opinions. <laughs> Meaning the only thing that matters about any opinions when it comes to theories like this is what have you done with Jesus? You and I can agree to disagree on a lot of things, but the thing we have to get right is Jesus. As I said last weekend, if you're wrong about him, it doesn't matter what you're right about. <laughs> And if you're right about him, you can be wrong about a lot of stuff. But I think I'm right about that theory, by the way. But my point is, it's not salvific. That's not between heaven and hell, right? It doesn't matter. You can say potato, potato, that doesn't matter. The main thing you need to get right is Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place, and if I go, I will receive you unto myself. So the first thing he does, he receives them. Second thought is, not only are they received, they are rejoicing. They're rejoicing. I think it's twofold. I think they're rejoicing because they're obviously in the presence of their Savior. They're in a place that is perfect and amazing, indescribable, incredible place, this place called heaven. So amazing that John doesn't really have the vocabulary to capture the beauty and the amazing uh, splendor of heaven. You read John 21, I mean, I'm sorry, Revelation 21, Revelation 22, and when John is writing about it, he, he has the ability, uh, dis, uh, he doesn't have rather the ability to fully grasp heaven. So he used negatives. He says, well, there's no sorrow, there's no night, there's no parting, there's no death, there's no sickness, there's no funeral homes, there's no cemeteries, there's no tears. So he uses the negatives to describe it because he doesn't have the ability to adequately capture it. 
So I suggest to you, just as they are receive your loved ones and mine right at this moment, they are rejoicing. But let me give you another reason they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing because they are aware of some of the significant events that are happening here on earth. You say, Bill, do you believe people in heaven are aware of the things that happen on the earth? Yes. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, seeing therefore we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. Paul said in one place, we are living our life on on an amphitheater. We're living our life in an amphitheater on on a stage before unseen angels and seen men. We're living our life out on a stage here. we're, We're playing a role here. We are living with purpose and other people are observing our life. And while they are observing our life, we also are compassed about with this enormous cloud of witnesses. Now, based on my study of scripture, let me give you what I think is a qualifier concerning what information gets to heaven and what doesn't. See if you agree with this. I think people in heaven would be made aware of the events on earth, here it is, if that information would make heaven more heaven to them. If that information would make heaven less heaven for them, I'm not sure they would ever know it. I think he'd filter that out. Because heaven is a place of joy and peace and contentment. Let me give you another one. Luke chapter 15, the Bible says, get this, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. It didn't say the angels rejoiced. And I think the reason they don't is they don't know how. They've never been lost, so they don't know what it means to be found. They've never been away from God, so they don't know what it means to come to him. So they're, 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 they're happy that the saints in heaven are happy, but the rejoicing that's going on in heaven is when a sinner on earth repents. Now, how do the people in heaven know unless there's information that gets through somehow to them, right? And who better to rejoice than someone in heaven who had a direct connection with that person here on earth? Let me go out on this limb of supposition a little further. Can you imagine a grandmother, a grandfather, mom, dad, someone who prayed for that someone for years to know Jesus, and they died never receiving that information? They went to heaven not seeing all their family come to Christ. And all of a sudden there's an announcement made in heaven. I got some good news for you. That boy you prayed for all those years that was so far away from God received Jesus. And he's going to get baptized at Met Church next weekend. <laughs> Don't you think there would be rejoicing in the presence of the angels? Can you wrap your mind around that? So when I say they are received and I say they are rejoicing, understand what I mean when I say that. In fact, in 1 Samuel, another interesting passage in 1 Samuel, uh, put, put these glasses on, they don't make me smarter, I can just see a little better. 1 Samuel 28, Samuel's in heaven and he's aware of what's going on with Saul in Israel on earth. So again, here's another example of people in heaven aware of the things that are going on on the earth and the things that make them uh, aware or the information that makes them aware also makes them rejoice. So they're rejoicing in heaven. I believe, ladies and gentlemen, they're living joyous lives in heaven. You know, this imagery (laughs) of setting on clouds and strumming harps, can I be real honest with you? I think that would bore me to death. Honestly, I'm not musical. I can't play the radio without static. I mean, I don't have that ability. I'm just suggesting that to sit around on a cloud strum, are you you kidding me for just a second? Really? 
Or, or, or somebody say, well, you know, I mean, you know, that's just what, my dad used to say, my dad's an old Baptist pastor, has been in heaven since last September, and my dad used to say, well, you guys need to get used to being in heaven. Now, he did this to justify an hour and a half service. He would say, because when you, when you get to heaven, it's going to be one long church service. And I remember as a kid going, oh, man, are you serious right now? <laughs> and I tell you, my grown self says, are you serious right now? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love all this, and this is encouraging, but I, I have limitations of how much of this I can handle. He said, we're going to set through a long service. I said, well, I have a glorified rear end that can set through a service that long for when I get to heaven, but I don't have that right now. So that didn't do it for me. So I don't think heaven is a place where we're going to strum on heart. You, you know what I think heaven is? I think it's a place where you're going to do perfectly there what you did imperfectly here. If you're an artist here, you're gonna be an artist in heaven. If you're a builder here, you're gonna be a builder in heaven. <laughs> if you sing here, you're gonna sing there better than ever. I think all the things that we did while on this earth, all those giftings and all the qualities, our little goofy personality quirks that we all have, those things are gonna be perfected and God is gonna receive glory. So I think the people in heaven are living joyous lives. I think they're doing better the things that they did here. I think Cindy's already painted her mansion at least twice. She's already swapped out some furniture. Lord, that I don't miss. <laughs> I can see her doing all that. Why? She did that beautifully here. She will do that perfectly there. So never think of your loved ones as just being kind of bored and floating around with nothing to do. They're going to do perfectly what they did here imperfectly. And they're going to do it forevermore. You say, well, uh, well, we know our loved ones when we get to heaven. Well, man, I love what that preacher said. I'd hate to think we'll have less sense in heaven than we had on the earth. I hate to think I'll be dumber in heaven than I was here. We'll know each other there. I'm gonna get to that in a minute and kind of explore it a little more. But the idea is that we're going to have incredible lives. We're going to live our lives to the fullest with joy in his presence. Somebody said, are we gonna eat in heaven? Oh, I got good news for you. Yay, verily, we're gonna eat in heaven. You kidding me? Babe's fried chicken, I think it's gonna be there. I don't know that on any authority, but I'm just saying, I'm thinking it's gonna. And by the way, Titus, ain't no calories in heaven, baby. Our treadmills, our weights, thank you, Jesus. Can I hear an amen on that one? Holy cow, perfect bodies. What will that, but you know, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, having a great physique and, and being beautiful or handsome or wealthy. It's not fair, but there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> but, but in heaven, that's that great equalizer, right? We're, yeah, we're going to eat. Listen to this. Let me, let me give you a great verse on this. Uh, in Revelation, uh, when it talks about eating in heaven, and, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 24, verse 41, this is the resurrected Jesus, the resurrected Jesus seeing his apostles. And here's what he said. Do you have anything to eat? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That ought to be our verse for the day, right? Just a little while. Do you have anything to eat? Any gray poupon? It's not there. That's not there. And they gave him a piece of fish and honeycomb. And listen, he took it and did eat before him. He ate. In his glorified, sanctified body, Jesus ate. Remember what he said at communion, Luke 22, 8, in the upper room? One day I'll eat this bread with you and I'll drink this cup with you in my Father's kingdom. We're going to eat in heaven. <laughs> We are. Uh, another thing, that's good. I, I just threw that in there. That was free, but I threw that in there. They're rejoicing. Third thought, they're reunited. They're reunited. They're reunited with those who have gone on before. 
I think of it in context of our family. I think about all the relatives that we have that are there. I think about some that I've had that I'm gonna be shocked to see them and they'll be shocked to see me. <laughs> what? Yeah, you, you too? <laughs> but there's gonna be a reunion. I, I remember that story. You remember it in the Old Testament? 2 Samuel 12, King David, his baby is sick. Isn't that something about sickness? It visits the wealthy, it visits royalty. It vis sickness is no respecter of persons. And into the palace, this little one is sick. And David does what all of us do when we have a baby that's sick, a little grandbaby that I have that's so sick, Cindy Jean, that when we had her diagnosis, so sick. Prayed every day, prayed every day. Prayed for healing, believed God could, prayed that he would. David did too. He prayed, the Bible says he fasted, he went before God, he laid before God, he begged and pleaded with God. But as I found my experience to be, God said, no, it's not my will. He called that little one home. And then David said this, he said, I can't bring my little one back, but here's what he said, I can go to be with my little one. Wow, what am I saying to your heart? I'm saying there's a reunion in heaven. <laughs> There's a reunion in heaven. There's rejoicing and they're being received, but they're being reunited. They're being reunited with those that have gone on before and they're taking their place in the stands and looking down here on the earth and they're saying to us, keep running, hang in there. This thing's gonna be over before you know it. Life is so brief and uncertain. You keep running, we're up here pulling for you. Don't you give in and don't you give up and don't you give out, you keep running. We're compassed with a cloud of witnesses and these witnesses are being reunited with those who have gone before. Somebody asked me, Bill, will we be married in heaven? Well, some of you will be happy to hear this. No. <laughs> Matthew 22, verse 30. There's not any marrying or giving in marriage. And here's why. Marriage is an earthly covenant. It has to do with protection and it has to do with provision. And by the way, it has to do with procreation. In heaven, all of that is not necessary. So therefore the need of it and the desire of it is gone. So get all that out of your system down here. Because <laughs> when you're there, all that's gonna be different. Now we'll have memories. I'm gonna know Cindy Jean and I were married for 42 years and we're gonna go down memory lane and we're gonna talk about a lot of stuff and we're gonna get picking up on some stuff that we missed out on. And we're gonna do that for a long time. You will too, you will too. So it's not that you're not gonna have memories, just that you're not gonna have that same relationship in heaven because in heaven it's just simply not necessary. Somebody else asked me, Bill, will I see my pet in heaven again? Yes, you're gonna see that little pet in heaven again. I'll give you a basis for it. In Genesis three, when God created everything in its perfect environment, he created a world full of animals. When he recreates this world, a new heaven and a new earth, why would he not give us animals? I'm just, I'm just saying. Isaiah chapter 11, verse six and nine, he talks about the millennial reign of Christ on the earth. And he says, during that time, remember the lion <laughs> lays down with the lamb. Sounds like a lion is getting with a lamb and they're hanging out. Romans eight, the Bible says creation groans and desires to be replenished and recreated. Well, part of creation is animals. So I believe if they brought you that kind of pleasure here on the earth, then God certainly would allow them into heaven to bring you that kind of pleasure there. I don't find anything in the Bible that says otherwise. So yeah, I think you're gonna eat, you're gonna be reunited, I think you're gonna have some animals when you get to heaven. Hope that helps somebody. 
And by the way, when you get to heaven, you're going to receive intuitive knowledge. Intuitive. What do I mean by that? As I said a few weeks ago, we're going to know all the mysteries of life, but we're going to know each other in a perfect way. By the way, we're going to know people that lived in history that we never knew otherwise, and we're going to know who they are without a name tag. My name is Moses. <laughs> so, oh, really, man, you kind of look like that guy on ZZ Top, you know. <laughs> I thought you might be Billy Gibbons. I wasn't sure. No, I'm Moses. No, you won't have to have that. Because, I don't know where that came from. But the point is, you have intuitive knowledge. They just kind of look Old Testament to me, right? Um, listen to this. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast. Listen, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. There's a feast with Abraham. How, how is anybody going to know who these guys are? You're going to know them because of intuitive knowledge. In fact, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus went up with Peter, James, and John, they saw Moses and Elijah. Now, how did Peter, James, and John know Moses and Elijah? Intuitive knowledge. We'll immediately know these people because we'll have the mind of Christ reunited. Last thought, and we'll go home. They're rewarded. They're rewarded. Revelation 14, 13, blessed are those who die in the Lord. From henceforth says the Spirit, that they now, listen, rest from their labors and their works follow them. Listen, works don't lead you to heaven, they follow you there. You don't work to get to heaven. <laughs> the works that you've done on earth follow you there. It's your legacy. It's what you leave behind. Someone says concerning a loved one, well, they've gone on to their reward. Well, yes and no. Yes, they've gone on to their reward in the sense that one day they'll receive the reward, but no in the sense they haven't yet received their reward. Why? Because all of the results are not in. They're not in yet. As long as that person who prayed for you that's been in heaven two generations back is still reaping a benefit from the influence of your life, they haven't received their full reward. Long as the influence of Cindy Jean is still felt in this church and through my life and through our kids and our grandkids, she has not yet received her full reward. So that reward day is coming. And one of these days, all the redeemed will stand before our heavenly father in 1 Corinthians 3 says the Bema, we will receive rewards based on what sort it was, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. You know what's amazing about that? Is not only will we be rewarded for the things that we've done, God is also gonna reward us for the things that we wanted to do and weren't able to do. You remember when David desired to build the temple, his life's mission was to build a temple to God's glory and God didn't allow him to do it. He said, Solomon, your son will build the temple, but not you. So David provided insight and he gave him counsel and he saw the construction of the temple, but he never got to do it. But you know what God said to him? He said, because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, I'll bless you. What's the principle? The principle is God's gonna bless you for the things that he, you've done and he's even gonna bless you for the things that he knows you would have done if you would have had the opportunity to do them. It's gonna be an amazing time when we finally are rewarded. As I close, I think of the times that Cindy and I had opportunities to talk about all the things God was doing in our lives and through our kids and through our church. It's one of the memories or one of the things that, that I, I, I miss among many, many things I miss is not having those, those conversations. Her birthday is Wednesday of this week. So that'll be kind of a hard day. 
kids and I will go out to the cemetery where we last saw her. And we'll remember her life there and celebrate her. Knowing she's not there, she's with her Lord. But as her illness progressed, we would set out on the back and watch our sunsets. We have really nice sunsets where we live. And it got to where she couldn't really talk. So we'd sit and watch the sunset. And it wasn't unusual for her to say, honey, would you just talk to me? Would you talk to me? Not joking. I say, baby, I'll make a living talking to people. <laughs> sure, I'll talk to you. And we'd talk, and we'd talk about the babies, and we'd talk about the kids, and we'd talk about the church, and not rent out stuff to talk about, but we talked. And I miss those. I miss that opportunity. And now when I sit out back, it's different. But I have those great memories. And there was a song that I read this last week. I want to close with, I'm not going to sing it. Boy, y'all been so sweet to be here. <laughs> Would not do that to you. But it's an old hymn they did in my dad's church. Hear the words, beyond the sunset, though blissful morning, when with our Savior heaven is begun, earth's toiling ended, O glorious dawning, beyond the sunset, when day is done. Beyond the sunset, oh glad reunion with our dear loved ones who've gone before. In that fair homeland, we'll know no parting beyond the sunset forevermore. That's the hope of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that in our sorrow, we can find joy. That we don't sorrow as people who have no hope, we have the hope. We'll see our loved ones again. You've received them. They're rejoicing. One day we'll be reunited. One day to be rewarded. But until that time, I pray for strength and comfort for my friends here today. Many of them going through similar things and distress and stress in their life and challenges. So Father, I pray they'll turn to you. If they fall anywhere, I pray they'll fall at your feet. For those who don't know you and have never trusted you, I pray you'll give them the courage to humble their heart and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. And Father, for those who are facing some challenges this week, I pray you'll make yourself near to them and dear to them. Give them courage. Let them know you've got this. There's a purpose and you're working through it. And finally, Lord, for those who need someone to pray for them before they leave, I pray as soon as I dismiss, they'll make their way here to the front. Let someone come and spend a moment and pray for them and pray over them. Father, today, I just thank you for the joy of knowing Jesus. Grateful that one day beyond the sunset, we'll be reunited in your presence forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.